Welcome to A Frame Apart, the podcast where every episode we compare two films, whether that comparison is obvious or not. I'm your host, Ariel Fisher. And I'm your other host, Bob Barrow. Welcome to the show, guys. It is episode 107? 107. 107. I had to add a question mark because I forget where we are in time, history, and place. (laughs) (laughs) Where am I? I don't know where I am dimensionally in space. (laughs) dimensionally <laughs> geographically chronologically yeah. it's a big conundrum you know we're yeah. not thinking fourth dimensionally even enough. though nothing else could be occupying my point in space i don't know if i'm actually there <laughs> so this week on the show guys as you know it is early september so that means that uh, i get to me? speak like this oh why i had a stroke <laughs> <laughs> So it means it is back to school season. The kids have just recently started school, as you know, last week for episode 106. We discussed uh, To Kill a Mockingbird versus Inherit the Wind and all of the necessary things that come with that. So it was a heavier episode full of just all sorts of stuff we're proud of. But this week, we're going a little bit lighter. We're talking about returning to school in older age, revisiting education with... uh, the wealth of experience that life and <laughs> dignity brings you through Billy Madison and Patch Adams. So that's true of one of these films. <laughs> I I love when we do our, you know, the, the pairings that should not be, <laughs> you know, as in Lawnmower, Lawnmower Man, Man and, and Age, Age of, of Innocence. Innocence. Billy Madison and Patch Adams is really, other than the fact that they're both names films. Yes. Like the titles are both the characters' names. I, I just love that pairing. You know, because it's they. No one should be talking about those films. And well, rarely are they talk films like that talked about in the same breath when one isn't used being used to disparage the other. Yes. So we will avoid unnecessary disparagey. Eh. Yeah, sure. That'll. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's things that these films are guilty of, mm-hmm. and we shall punish the guilty, reward the innocent. <laughs> but then there's also. Picking on films really just... What are we, Red Letter Media? We're better than that. Hey, hey, you don't have to be Red Letter Media to hold a film accountable for what it did wrong. There's a difference between holding a film accountable and picking on a film. Yeah, you said picking. I know. That's why I said we're not going to pick on a film. No, and that's what I'm saying. But we will hold them accountable. So, let's get started, shall we? Yes. With uh, the largely Toronto shot, Billy Madison. We'll get into that one in a second. Tell people from the schwa that they're from Toronto and they'll, uh, I don't know, throw their meth at you. I don't know. I think if you tell people from the schwa that we consider them part of Toronto, they'd get really stoked. Or maybe that's the ju- just the Toronto ego speaking. That's or, everybody wishes they were us. Or it's the coughster of talking. You can't sit with us! <laughs> Which is funny because Toronto is literally like the the, the mean bitch in the cafeteria that oh, yeah. thinks everyone wants to be like them. Toronto is the is the Regina yeah. George of, of Ontario. In actuality, nobody outside of Toronto gives a fuck about Toronto. Yeah. That's the funniest thing that I've noticed in my meandery travels around Canada mm. is that as soon as you leave Toronto... Oh yeah, nobody gives a shit. No, everyone gives a shit and everyone just looks at us like this lumpy turd sitting by itself in the cast. Like, that fat fuck needs its own table. Thinks it's so cool. It has <laughs> to sit it's at its so own much table. better than the rest of us. Yeah, always out in the smoking section with its stinky food. Speaking of stinky food, yeah. Billy Madison uh, from 1995, according to IMDb, let's see what this has to deal out, 
In order to inherit his fed-up father's hotel empire, an immature and lazy man must repeat grades 1 through 12 all over again. I felt it needed a little, ah, a little, ah. So there you we have go. to say it like '90s trailer voice guy. Yes, can, can very I, different the... from very different from '80s trailer voice guy. Can I see? We'll, we'll do it again like '90s trailer voice. guy. I did it partially like trailer voice. In guy. order to inherit his fed-up father's hotel empire, an immature and lazy man must repeat grades one to twelve all over again. Derp de derp, skiddly flirp. Rob Schneider's a flirp. <laughs> So the film was directed. Flirpy flirp. He's a stapler. It's my stapler. They said I could keep my stapler. So the film is directed by Tamara Davis and was written by Adam Sandler and Tim Herlihy. Herlihy? Herlihy. Herlihy sounds more like a name than Herlihy. Hey, don't knock the Herlihy's, all right? They're noble people. Fucking Mayflower clingers. Yeah. Clinging to the bow of the Mayflower. The film stars Adam Sandler, Darren McAvin, Bridget Wilson, Sampras, Bradley Whitford, Josh, uh, Josh Mostel, Josh Mostel, Mostel, the principal. You you say Um, that like we know who that is. I know the name. I just can't quite recall. Also, Norm MacDonald, Mark Beltzman, and Larry Hankin, as well, Teresa Merritt as uh, Juanita. Chris Farley. Oh, and Chris Farley. Yes, that's right. I well, they they always order the cast really strangely, mm-hmm. and that Chris Farley is nowhere to be seen immediately is kind of funny. I mean, he's he's a tiny role, sure, but yes, Chris Farley is in here. Steals every scene that he's in. Does he ever? Um, so fun fact about Billy Madison: it was largely filmed in and around the GTA. Uh, which I had kind of known because of something that uh, my cousin had told me when we were growing up. This movie was released in 1995, so I was I was eight, give or take, seven, seven, seven-ish. Yeah. Um, so I was quite young, but I I've been watching this movie for years. Like I I started watching it quite young because my brother and my cousins were all watching it that mm-hmm. time, right? So my cousin Tammy, who's the exact same age as my brother, separate by like two days, uh, had told us that the the man who plays the clown was actually the father of somebody that she had gone to school with or like six degrees of Kevin Bacon kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, there, like, there was, was a connection there. So just now, we before we got started, we double checked because I'm like, OK, well, then that must mean it was filmed in Toronto and we had the, the great debate. So lo and behold, it was largely filmed in Stouffville, Toronto, and Oshawa. Uh, the outside of Billy's mansion is Parkwood Estate in Oshawa, and the inside is fucking Casa Loma. Yeah. They shot it. They shot inside Casa Loma for this, which is pretty incredible. Incredible. I can speak. You can tell it's Tiff because I'm. It's incredible up my and incredulous all Inc- at once. Exactly. And at a couple of different public schools and everything in the area. Um, like John Ross Robertson Jr. Public School. That's a mouthful. So, this local school, this local film, which nobody ever thought was local. Yeah, I, I would never have thought that was a that this was a Canadian affair. No, so. no, not at all. So, Bob, when did you first see Billy Madison? Oh, I saw it along with everybody else uh, my age as soon as it came out. Um, I would not be surprised if I went and saw this in theaters. Mm. Um, there, 
to, to talk about Billy Madison in, in any kind of objective sense, we, we have to look at when it came out. Because this film is a product of its time. Mm-hmm. This film could not have existed in the early 90s. It couldn't have existed in the late 90s. There was this pocket from about 93 to 96 where a bunch of these films came out. You know, like Billy Madison, Major Payne, stuff like that. Because it's... Not, the middle 90s was a time of, you could almost say, gross out. Mm-hmm. That, you know, advertising was all about gross. It was, you know, boogers and childishness and silliness. It was very much the the height of childish humor. Mm-hmm. So Billy Madison plugged into that. But being 10, turning 11 in 1995, I was directly in the way of this film. Oh yeah, you were I the was, you were part of the key demographic. Oh yeah, they were they were talking to, you know, crude 10-11 year old boys even though there's swearing and a bunch of shit that's totally oh, inappropriate. There is so much that is inappropriate yeah, about this film. Chicks with dicks and all that kind of stuff and with the nudie magazines. But at the same time, so many of the comedies and stuff we watched when we were younger had were riddled with inappropriate stuff. Because they weren't made for kids. No. But they inevitably found their way to children. Well, that was the glory of the early to mid-90s was that you got this wave of films that were so not intended for children that children were consuming en masse. Yeah. Like that, that, and that really was the way of it. I mean, even just watching the rest of this film, like I think I tweeted something the other day while I was watching it for prep and I'm like, Billy Madison's aged like fucking buttermilk, man. Like it, yeah, it, it does not hold up and it has so many problems with it. You've got so much like him groping Veronica Vaughn on the bus oh, yeah, and making and, a joke out of it and the way Chris Farley treats her. Oh, and, and she completely brushes it all off. Well, you oh, know, yeah. the first man to try to grab my chest. And I'm like, oh, the time, the oh, time. Yeah. But the, and the, but the, yeah. and the, funny thing about stuff like that is that this was the way that women were largely dealing with it then too because that's the way we were taught to deal with it yeah that oh you laugh it off you don't take it seriously or don't take it so personally whatever it's just a thing that happens it's part of being a woman yeah that men are going to try to do this and chris farley staring up her skirt but even just the way that they're treating the kids like the fact that there's this whole conversation with a young student that calls Veronica Vaughn and and starts asking her about dating a student in class. Mm -hmm. They're in grade three. Yes. Now, but she also handles it like a total professional. Oh, she She does. She completely does. a very nice teacher and like that's... But you would never have... I think that's the the smallest indiscretion that the film commits is that scene. But you would never have a teacher handle it even remotely like that. Now, you would never have a teacher have their... their, No student would ever be able to access their number, let alone get away with asking questions like no, this. But like she would have to take that to the principal and be like, listen, this is what happened so that she could yeah. be, you know, safe. We could just handle it like people. Well, because no. it's when I was that age, when I was in public school, so it was when I was in the third grade, fourth grade, our parents had our, had our teacher's phone numbers. Oh yeah. Your parents would. Yeah. You know, when I was in the second, third, fourth grade, we had nights where teachers would come over and have dinner. Really? Yeah. Um, well, I, but Peterborough we is also a much smaller town comparatively. I, I still, I think it's the time, you know, well, we too. were, you know, Mr. Leak came over a few times for, for, um, he was Jackie's third grade teacher, came over and had dinner with us and brought his son, Noah, I think. Sorry, Stephen, if you're listening to this, <laughs> um, why you'd be listening to my podcast, I don't know, but 
Yeah, he came over for dinner a few times. Hmm. Um, and then when he got married, when he married, uh, he was married to another teacher at the school. I think they both came over for supper. I remember we were visiting somewhere with mom, a friend of hers house, and we were running around the neighborhood blown off steam. And my fifth grade teacher, Mrs. Gladkey, who was like fucking amazing, hmm. um, lived in the neighborhood. And it's like, hey, because she was just fucking wild as the day was long. So we ran over and hung out in her yard, went in her house and played with her kids and it was just, you You did that, you know? Like, you could, back then, you could hug the school monitor, the schoolyard monitors. Yeah. You know, you could hug a teacher. You know, that was before, you know, one pedophile ruined it for everybody. Oh, God. You know? <laughs> but again, talking about the, the, the middle 90s, because it was, this, there, this was the height of comedy. Oh, for for boys our age, it didn't get much better than this. And even watching it again, you I'm not all so much watching the film, as I'm you know you're reliving that time. I'm reliving my memory of what it was like to watch the film. Yeah, exactly. Because it's it's endlessly quotable. And how often do you still catch yourself doing the uh, shampoo? Is oh, better. all the time. Stop looking at me, Swan. Yeah. Yeah, I've literally okay. No yelling this, on the bus. There's this, like, not so much that, but stop looking at me, Swan, and and the shampoo. Absolutely. Um, even for the longest time, there was you know Veronica Vaughn. So hot, want to touch, touch the hiney? Oh. Which, yeah, like then it was like, oh, it's just a funny way that something's being said. No big deal. And now watching it is like, ugh, ugh, why would she ever? I don't even understand that. That doesn't make sense. It's in the script. I. It's in the script that the this beautiful, intelligent, good human would be attracted to this schlub, uh, because that was also the way of the '90s. But I, you know, was specifically with stop looking at me, Swan. There's this restaurant in Toronto called Piano Piano, and the faucets in their bathrooms are swan heads. And I went for dinner once, went into the bathroom for the first time, and kind of I'm looking, I'm like, oh, I got to do this. Is that where we got the uh, the mac and cheese board cubes? Yes. Yeah. 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 So that was definitely, yeah, it, it, it's embedded in the culture so much so that when I posted a picture of it to Instagram with nothing but stop looking at me, swan, everybody knew exactly what I was talking about. Yeah. It's, it's also because... Adam Sandler today nah. does not have the same connotation that Adam Sandler did in the middle 90s uh, and in the 90s itself. Which is strange when you consider that the quality of his work has not improved. Well, the quality of his work has actually gone f incredibly down the tubes. Yeah. You know, you look at films back in the day that are still classics of the time. Mm -hmm. Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore, The Waterboy, Big Daddy, The Wedding Singer. Yeah. You know, these are films that, for what they are, not judging them by different standards, mm -hmm. for what they are and what they set out to be, are still very funny films that are still good to watch. They, yeah, they have they they definitely have subjective value. Yeah, absolutely. And now they've just his output is I don't understand. Mm -hmm. I think it's obvious that he's lost his joy for the work, for the most part, mm -hmm. with what he's doing, and it's just making stuff. They're out there. Netflix is giving them. I don't think there's an actor on Netflix that's more represented than Adam Sandler. No, probably not. You know. Well, especially since... Because he got... What was it? A seven film deal or something? What To churn out those pieces of shit. Oh, yeah. 
but but, it's, but I know. also think about Adam Sandler and in the late '90s, early 2000s, when he was trying to do, he was trying to pull a Jim Carrey, yeah. And he did, and I still haven't seen it, but and he did like Punch Drunk Love, for example, mm. which got him a ton of attention and a ton of love and praise, and apparently very deservedly so. So I, I do need to check that out, and I don't, I I never fully write anyone off. Like I had a lot of the same problems with, and still kind of do, Will Ferrell, and then I saw Stranger Than Fiction. And that completely changed my mind about him, but it also makes me a little disappointed in him because I know what he's capable of. Mm-hmm. And you expect to, you hold such performers to a certain standard and hope that they're going to be able to realize the full potential of their abilities. And then when they don't and they just rely on the dick and fart jokes and the really stupid, like, you know. Well, I'd say. I, I mean, like, I, I, it's a judgment call on my part to call fart jokes him, can be sublime, stupid. but I think, <clears throat> I think when any any comedian, any artist of any kind, relies on doing the same thing over and over again, uh-huh. and the whatever work they're churning out becomes an obvious churn, and it becomes lazy, mm-hmm. where you just took the first idea you thought of and ran with it. Mm-hmm. And that's it. You didn't put any work into it beyond that. It was just think it up, turn out a first draft, bring in some of your friends, spruce it up where you can, and then release it because who gives a shit? Mm -hmm. That's unfortunately the world we live in with Adam Sandler movies now. Exactly. So The ones that he's in charge of. Because Mm -hmm. every now and then he'll pop up in someone else's movie. And in a serious part, he just did that, the, the Horowitz diaries or the Merkowitz diaries or whatever with uh, oh, Ben Stiller and Dustin yes. Hoffman. So yeah. every now and then he pops up in something where he's back doing the serious, you know, actual work. Exactly. Yeah. So, but given that we, and <laughs> just kind of pooped on Billy Madison and we're supposed to be talking about the back to school thing. I think what's fun about this, this whole idea is one, it's, it's so silly. It's a the three Mayerowitz stories. The Mayerowitz the stories. Um, I knew it was something fable related and Jewish. So, <laughs> so uh, what we're watching here is it's basically a Three Stooges sketch. It's with Billy Madison. Yeah. It's there's been a dozen different films. You know, if you want to inherit your father's fortune, you have to get married before the October moon. <laughs> if you want to inherit a million dollars, you have to spend a million dollars before tomorrow. You know, like, yeah, it, it's one of those, you know, like, then bid it, it. Like that's all in trailer voice. Yeah. Trailer guy voice. It, it's its own trope. Yes. Basically is what it is. But it does raise that fun question of going back to school as an adult. Mm-hmm. And could we actually go back and pass mm. these great... Now, obviously in a compressed cycle of two weeks... I'd be hard-pressed to find someone that is savanty enough that could get through all of the exams that high school requires with only two weeks of study for each grade. But you look at, you know, first grade, you're reading books and, you know, you're drawing pictures and everything. Mm -hmm. But, you know, as we've learned from Mr. Foxworthy and finding out that most of us are not smarter than fourth graders, I think most of us would be... I thought it was a fourth grader. No, are you smarter than fifth grader? Either way, still. Does, doesn't particularly doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. Are you smarter than a child? Yeah. Are, no, are you smarter than a child who's in the current public education system? Yes. 
So I think especially back then when school was actually still hard and there were consequences to school, mm-hmm. I think I'd be fucked. Yeah. Like, I think I could probably get myself to maybe the sixth or seventh grade, but I think as soon as really complicated math and stuff started to come in, I'd be fucking boned. Well, yeah. Well, I... I... What do you think your chances are, Ducky? Of succeeding back in public school, back in elementary school? The um, whole the whole shooting match, one to shooting... one to twelve. Some of us had to do thirteen, but then some of us were lazy. Hey, hey, hey! I wasn't lazy. It was taken away from me because you guys were too lazy. If you realized you couldn't handle it anymore because you've gotten soft. If you're outside of Canada and you're not aware of this, or even outside of Ontario, I th- was it just was it Canada wide or was it just Ontario? I think it might have been Canada wide. I'm not certain. Well, Up assume until... it was Canada wide. Yeah. There was Bob's year graduating class of high school was the last year to have a grade known as oac which was the final year in high school essentially grade 13 it was grade 13 is what we all called it because it sounded a lot cooler well every oh everyone i knew called it oac nobody called it grade 13 like no one um bully for you considering they were all four years older than you judgment totally judgment glare and judgment i was there i know you were there so was i so my, I was part of the first, so when he was in grade 13, mm-hmm. I was, I was in grade nine and it was the same thing with my brother cause they're the same age. So my brother and I went to the same high school and we got to spend a year together in high school because of this extra year. Um, but then they got rid of it. So his, his grade, his year and everyone before him judges us lot and everyone after well i think considering the state of the world now and the state of post-secondary systems and the rate of dropout and people studying pointless programs and stuff i think we might have actually been a little vindicated on the value of an extra year of high school because it gives them one more year to think about it well here's the thing and this kind of ties in with everything that we're discussing so this was a, a beautiful thing to bring up actually the thing that I think fails people the most isn't so much ending high school earlier, so much as it is the culture that is built around the idea that once you graduate high school, you must immediately go into university. And yeah. especially with getting rid of the extra year, the kids that are going into university are just that. They're kids. They're 17. They can't well, even legally drink That's yet. the thing is if your birthday's not until after September, you have this wave of 17-year-olds uh, starting college. And university. And one, not ready to be away from home unless you're like oh, one yeah. of those super organized kids. Two, what the fuck does a 17-year-old know about anything? Oh, exactly. Let alone making these kind of decisions. Mm-hmm. You know, at least like I, because I took, I did OAC and then I took a year off mm-hmm. because I didn't get into any, because I decided at the 11th hour I wanted to go to film school. Yeah. And so I turned 20 in my first year college mm-hmm. and I was still... I think the second or third oldest. Yeah, that may, which makes sense. And yeah. it was a similar situation for me because I did I did high school and I immediately went into university. I went to Ryerson and after about two, maybe three months, I dropped out because I was living at home. I was commuting. I was in the same program that my brother was in. It just felt like it was the same thing over and over again. It, mm. I felt like I was faking it. It didn't feel right. It didn't fit. Now I was 18. My birthday's in January, right? So I'm a bit older, but... I dropped out and I I had to deal with the ramifications of that. And let me just tell you, there is nothing that really fucks with your head more than dropping. Like there are many things that fuck with your head. Than being a college dropout. But, but, but being a university dropout makes you feel like shit. I spent months really dealing with that and feeling like, well, everyone else I know is doing this. 
So that's the normal thing. I'm Abby normal. This isn't, this is weird. And, and because it's weird, it's wrong. So I spent a year working and then I reapplied to a couple of, actually, I don't even know if I applied to a couple of different universities. I'm pretty sure I just applied to McMaster because it was where I wanted to go. And I got in and I, and then I went. So when I did go back to university, I'd spent an entire year working, living in the daily, the regular grind of daily life. Now I was living at home, but I, I had gotten a little bit of, of, you know, lived experience. I did a little bit of traveling by myself, not much at this point, um, but I was working a day job. I had responsibilities. I didn't have bills and things, but going back to university with all of that in mind, making the decision not to stay in mm-hmm. residence, getting get you know getting a room in a house first like immediately off the bat, it totally changed my perspective coming back to school a little bit later. Now this isn't that much later, but still it mm-hmm. changes your engagement with the material. And I think that's the big thing that we see in something like Billy Madison is this idea that as a kid and as a teenager, he was largely, he was coddled, he was overprotected, and to the point where, you know, his father rigged the um, the spelling bee to get him what he yeah. wanted, right? And so you see this completely ill-prepared human because he was never forced to deal with reality or real life in any way, even in school. And he's gone about and lived his life and fucked up a lot and basically just become be a, a shell of a human being well, who has absolutely no value he's a child in a man's body exactly. he is the the epitome of of the 90s man child mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's you know what the jackass guys would come along and capitalize you know, on yeah a few years later exactly and then he goes back and we have this you know if if we're discussing it thematically he goes back to school and he grows and he develops and he learns more about life and he learns more about interpersonal skills the pride that can be uh that can be taken from hard work yeah and you know the pride that comes from scholastic accomplishment but also exactly. the pride of doing good for others yep. and helping other people exactly yeah having a real relationship with people instead of just your drinking buddies instead of just your drinking buddies and instead of just objectification because hmm. he also gets to change his perspective again we're talking thematically yep. let's be honest it's relative he changes his uh, perspective on what it means to interact with women, on what it means to interact with people who you would have previously deemed less than you. You know, oh, I'm not, they're not, you know, they're just hazing the new guy. I'm not a loser. And the kids are looking at him like, dude, come on. Yeah. Come you're, on. You're in loser denial. Had a bad case of loser denial till the football team stuck a parking cone up my ass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But like, and I do love that some of the kids in high school actually do look like kids, particularly the, you know, air quotes, losers of the group. But it's, you know, that's the thing, right, is getting perspective. And especially if you had you had it easy when you were there the first time around, coming back can be really difficult. And you feel you feel self-conscious. You feel incredibly visible in a vulnerable way that's not really okay. And you and you see that here. And for all intents and purposes, it's accomplished. It's accomplished. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not going to say it's accomplished well, because it's not. It could have been accomplished much better. But in terms of what Adam Sandler is capable of as a writer, and in terms of what Adam Sandler is capable of as a performer, especially at this point in his career, I mean, it gets the job done. Well, yeah, it's very much... This is... 
this is the Adam Sandler kind of what, you know, House of a Thousand Corpses is to Rob Zombie. Yeah. This is just kind of a hit video of what Sandler was capable of. Exactly. You know, you've got the... You've got the funny voices. Mm-hmm. You've got the that kind of man, manic man-child thing that he was doing. You have that, you know, zero to screaming Ugh, that yeah. he's very good at. And then you have funny songs. Yes. You know. Um, it makes the intro, I forgot how much the opening of this, like the opening 20 minutes of this movie, make me fucking mental. It's not until he's <laughs> dancing down the stairs that I feel that I start to kind of like, okay, I can go with this because everything leading up to that moment at the beginning just makes my skin crawl. Like when he's speaking, like when he's speaking gibberish at the dinner table and when he just comes in the way that he does and chasing after the fucking penguin and harassing the gardener. Respectable. Like. Oh God. It just, it makes me fucking nuts. It just drives he's got me the crazy. DTs. It's funny. Oh, yeah, it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> but. But we digress. Billy we Madison digress. is still funny. If if you're in the right headspace and if you remember what it was like to be a 10-year-old boy. Now, a different film, though, yeah. that manages to accomplish the weight and nuance and yeah. significance the, of the gra- late life education. The gravitas required. Exactly. And of changing one's life and regaining control of it is Patch Adams. So our other film from a similar period in time, only three years later, mm-hmm. we have Patch Adams from 1998. The true story of, her- of a heroic man, Hunter Patch Adams, determined to become a medical doctor, as opposed to... <laughs> determined to a become a... science me- doctor. Well, Fair. Determined to become a medical doctor because he enjoys helping people. He ventured where no doctor had ventured before, using humor and pathos. Hmm, fair. You can't we don't, quite argue we don't with really that. don't use pathos. You show, demonstrate pathos. Anyway. No, 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 that's correct. To use pathos. Yeah, but can I say, I'm going to pathos Something is done now. with... Hmm? But I, is that something you intentionally set out to have pathos or do you demonstrate an action or activity that by how it's carried out has pathos a little bit of both you can behave mm. in a manner that exhibits pathos you can elicit pathos but do you set out to go i'm going to order fries with pathos <laughs> i mean if you wanted sure mm. <laughs> the film is directed by tom shadiak and is based on the book Gesundheit, Good Health is a Laughing Matter by Patch Adams. And the screenplay was written by Steve Odekirk. Why do I know that name? My assumption is he's written other things. He has written other things. uh, Largely fairly schlocky stuff, but here we are. The film stars... Well, Tom Shadiak, he's a comedy director. That's primarily what he'd done up to that point. Well, he did Kung Fu Hustle. Yeah, and he also, I think he did Liar Liar as well. Wait, was it Kung Fu Hustle? Anyways... Uh, we have, of course, in the cast, uh, and a hell of a cast, we have Robin Williams, Daniel London, Monica Potter in a fantastic performance, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Bob Gunton, Joseph, Som- uh, Joseph Sommer, Irma P. Hall, uh, Harvey Presnell, and probably one of my favorite little appearances in this, Francis Lee McCain. That's probably not a name that you know, and it's probably a, a lot of people are probably going, huh, who? It's Marty's mom. Or no, sorry, Marty's grandmother in, in Back to the Future. 
Oh. It was Lorraine Bain McLean. Uh, Lorraine Bain McLean. What are you saying? Lorraine Baines was her maiden name. Lorraine Baines McFly's mother. So not McLean. I, it slipped. You say Mc and you immediately go McLean. Cause Racist? No. Yeah. You just say Mick and they're all the same to you, aren't they? No, I think die every hard, Mick motherfucker. Is, oh, every Mick's just the same to you. Oh, I get it. Yeah, leave, leave it to the Jew to be racist towards the towards towards you know Irish. Yeah, the Irish. Yeah. So how could no? Anyways, <laughs> and that's the cast of Patch Adams. <laughs> so, well, I was done anyways. You just had to pick on me. Racial interlude. Ay, racial interlude. Sure, why not? So, uh, Patch Adams, lovely little film about coming back to your education, coming back yeah. to finding yourself. Uh, trying to establish your life in as in a different context than what it yeah. was, and it trying all trying to restart your life. Yeah, and it all starts with Hunter Patch Adams. Hunter Adams. He's not Patch yet. If uh, you've seen the movie, you know what I mean. Uh, being institutionalized due to clinical depression and and feeling the urge to harm himself, he inst- he commits himself to an asylum and meets a bunch of very interesting characters. Um, what is it? Michael Jeter is his name? Yep. Yeah, including Michael Jeter. Alan Tudyk is there too. And a delightful little role. I'm cramped. I'm cr- <laughs> but why are we cramped? Does anyone know? Um, <laughs> and in it's in this process of engaging with the various other people around him that he realizes that there is a different way to approach life. And specifically when he meets the uh, mathematician, whose name I'm forgetting, uh, the former mathematician who was mm-hmm. self-institutionalized as well. Uh, they referred to it as, I think, genius syndrome, something to that effect. It's something to that effect. Like Howard Hughes, you just, you're, you're so smart that you just come around. The uh, like Genius mm-hmm. and madness are close on the old spectrum. Exactly. On the circle, but some, a lot of times they tend to bang into each other. Well, exactly. Yeah. And he fixes his cup, so he calls him Patch. And then he shows him how to see. And it sounds like something that's very simple and very, I don't know, it, 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 it sounds like a flippant way to say it or kind of an overly simplistic thing to say, but truly he teaches uh, Patch how to see, how well, to see the world. Yes, this is, the, the messages and everything presented in the film are, you, you could say that scene helps because you're, you're getting a very simplified view of life. Yes. It's a very it's it's a schmaltzy film, but oh, it's very much so. In in that kind of, I don't know if it was a bit of a rebellion from the 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 gross out stuff that happened, but there was also in 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 the nineties. You also wow. because there was such a strangely conservative bent during the Clinton years, you had these these run of very schmaltzy films mm-hmm. you know um this film reminds me a lot of something like father of the bride oh you i know, get that even down to like their scores are very similar mm-hmm. you know very you know light fluffy pianos and everyone learns a lesson and but everyone is still very financially stable and white yes very important to remember <laughs> so there there was this kind of Two kinds of films operating in the 90s, and mm-hmm. Patch Adams was definitely that. Did you see Patch Adams, Ariel, in theaters when it came out? I don't remember if I saw it in theaters, but I know I saw it. I probably didn't see it in theaters, honestly. There there weren't too many films. I didn't... I don't know. I have 
I've talked about this on the show before. I have a very strange relationship with my memory with film. I It's always kind of been there. So I don't have too many explicit memories of exactly when I watched certain films or how I watched them. For, in some instances, yes, there are very specific memories and events that coincided and, and that had an impact. However, uh, going to the theater was a bit of a treat. So we didn't do it too often. Uh, we mostly rented things and that mm-hmm. was the way we engaged with film for the most part. So likely we would have rented this and watched it for like a Friday pizza movie night um, after it was released. Uh, but I do remember seeing it very young and I remember it being a big deal. Um, I remember it packing an emotional wallop. I think that was one of the nice things about this film specifically was that it um, it could engage with you in various different ways on various different levels mm. and for many different age groups. It wasn't restricted to adults and it wasn't restricted to children. And in, in, in a lot of ways, Patch as a character actually serves as a beautiful vessel to teach the very difficult lessons of life to a very young audience. Um, between the writing, uh, the reality of Patch Adams as a human and like the real guy and between the ability and uh, talent of, uh, that Robin Williams brings to the character, it makes it very accessible for children, I think. Um, and that was definitely something that I felt. Mm-hmm. It, it was an interesting way to see depression portrayed. Um, well, it, it presents so many complex issues that we're still having difficulty portraying correctly on film now. Mm-hmm. It presents actually quite concisely. Now, one of the biggest flaws in this film, and it's also one of the biggest central flaws of the philosophy of the real-life Patch Adams, mm-hmm. is that, oh, well, laughter will fix everything. No, right. that's why his clinic failed, and that's why he's been sued and all that stuff, and because he's a, he's a wonderful idealist, mm-hmm. but practically ran into as you could imagine a lot of flaws yes um but it presents depression very very interestingly and very clearly Mm -hmm. it presents the idea that it's okay to be older and still suffering Mm -hmm. you know because we live in a a world today where it's you know there's so much stigma that what do you mean you're in your 30s and you haven't sorted your entire life out yet are you some kind of loser Mm -hmm. what do you mean you're 20 and you're not pursuing your exact chosen field what do you mean you're 60 and you don't know what to do you must be a complete pig like i wish you were dead Mm -hmm. like you know we get that beautifully presented we also get in monica potter's character Mm. A, a dialogue on sexual abuse, mm-hmm. but also with their relationship, a wonderfully executed, showing clearly the difference between a winning someone over mm-hmm. and showing them who you are and unwanted pursuit. Yeah. Because Actually, that's a perfect way of putting it. Yeah. Because so many relationships in film... Han Solo and Princess Leia included were unwanted attention Mm -hmm. and a forced pursuit, a wearing down of someone in a negative way Mm -hmm. instead of a expanding of someone's perception of you. And that's what Patch and her go through. Mm -hmm. And it's because I'm watching. I'm like, is this I can't remember if this is going to cringe 
Yeah. But it doesn't. No, it never does. Yeah. He, he has. And, and I think a lot of that is also, uh, it's partially owed to the writing. It's also part, it's largely owed to uh, Robin Williams' ability to embody that kind of human like yeah. and and just the way that and, and with the poem it's this beautiful sonnet by pablo neruda it's in his book of a hundred love sonnets called uh i think if i'm not mistaken it's xvii um but it's absolutely stunning and he keeps coming back to it and trying to read it to her and trying to finish it and they keep getting interrupted and then when he finally does read it to her it's well if you've seen the movie, you know. If you haven't, go and watch it because I'm not going to take that away from you. It's a beautiful moment and it's utterly heartbreaking. Yeah. But but it's it's the kind of lesson that watching that relationship is a lesson that a lot of not just screenwriters, people in general, oh, yes. gentlemen, can learn. That there is a difference between kind and motivated persistence mm-hmm. where you are getting enough clear signals that okay, this is okay to continue. Mm -hmm. But if you are laying Han on Hoth and she's physically hitting you, it's... That's that's a big no means no. It's time to, you know, close up the old Tauntaun and ride off into the sunset. Oh, God. But no, I I love how that's presented. Mm -hmm. And I will say, if this film is deceptive in any way, it's that Robin Williams doesn't have a beard. (laughs) He has scruff at the beginning. It's scruff, so you're you're like, okay, is that it's almost serious movie beard, but he never quite gets there. Well, let's be honest. The only movie he ever really had a serious movie beard in was was Goodwill Hunting. I know, but it was so serious though. Yes, and but he hasn't <laughs> had had facial hair of that magnitude in pretty much any other film except maybe The Fisher King. Yes, and that was a Jumanji. light beard. Okay, but he shaves that off right away. Yeah, but you know he grew it back the next day. No, he grew it back when he sneezed five minutes later. Because that man is a hell of a hairy beast. Or a hair of a helly beast. You know how it is. Well, I think also one of the things that this film... Because re-education as an adult or going back to school as an adult has carries with it a lot of stigma. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's... Whether it's... You know, it, it seems that a lot of people confuse, you know, if an adult goes back to school, it's like, oh, well, they must have just dropped out of high school and need to go get their GED. Mm-hmm. So that has its own stigma, which it shouldn't. And the idea of an adult, like somebody in their 30s or 40s deciding that, no, they want to change what they're doing. Mm-hmm. They're, they're treated like Patch was treated, even today. They're treated like some kind of a leper and a weirdo that, oh, you shouldn't be doing this. No. This place is all for only for the young. And I, well, yeah. it's central flaws of academia. But I think but I think back now, if I could go to film school now, one, knowing what I know would help put me to the front of the class. Mm-hmm. But, oh, my God, I'd crush that now mm-hmm. where I'm actually in some kind of emotionally stable position to be able to handle the whole experience. I'd have a lot more problems getting up and working that hard. <laughs> But, uh, I think it's also important to keep in mind and in terms of specifically going back to school and this idea of being in school later, being in school at all. Mm-hmm. Um, in this, in the instance of, say, for example, going back to film school now, if you could do it again, or in my case, going back and doing an art history degree uh, or any of anything in the humanities for the most part, 
one of the hard lessons that I had to learn, and I didn't learn until well after I'd graduated, was that while having the degree matters, that's probably the thing that matters most as opposed to what you learn. You learn a lot of things. And if you're lucky enough, like I was to have one or two profs uh, that really teach you the, the fundamental tenets of, of critical thinking, then you do learn and expand your mind and, and university does its job. It teaches you how to think. Um, but in the case of, say, Patch Adams, where he's going to school to do, he's, he's, he's going to school for something that you absolutely must go to school for. Mm-hmm. You cannot become a doctor without getting that degree. Well, That's you can, but the cops tend to show up. Well, exactly. Yeah. They tend to, to shut those things down and frown on it pretty yeah. heavily. But that's something that's important to discuss is this notion that higher education is the surefire way to growth and development and even the changing of a career path whether that's when you're 19 20 and you've finished high school maybe killed some time and gone off and done a degree or you're 30 and trying to change things or 40 or 50 or 60 or you're just 60 or 70 and you want to get a little bit more you know uh, just add something else to your life that yeah. you're taking courses. Add a little for this. bit of seasoning. Well, exactly, and it's. Well, I think that's to, to jump on that idea. One of the the central fallacies that's somehow grown up, uh, especially in in North America, in Canada, and the United States, is this idea of if you do not go to college or university, you're a bum. Yeah. If you do not, you know. It, it's a very classist idea that's grown up mm-hmm. and kind of sneakily re-infiltrated this old Victorian idea. Well, that, you know, well, the, you know, the, the intelligentsia and the, the rich and the powerful, they all go on to a, to a post-secondary education. And mm. if you don't have one, you can't get by in the world. And that's not true. It's also decimated the... Um, the entire uh any of the technical uh services mm. uh plumbers carpenters all that electricians um it's decimated those whole industries because i remember growing up that you all of a sudden the idea of doing a job where you worked with your hands was considered lowbrow yep you know those were for was, the dumb dumb kids that were in the base extremes in high school it was a blue collar job with but it was a four-letter word yeah you know, not understanding that those blue collar jobs by and large come with excellent pensions, great pay, flexible schedules. Good benefits. Yeah. So that these are the guys that all can retire when they're 55, 60 with a cottage and a bunch of cars and their kids through school. Mm-hmm. You know, the it's funny that that's where the American dream was rooted and the idea of what we know as that classic 2.5 kids picket fence lifestyle mm-hmm. was rooted in those jobs mm-hmm. hard know. hard work and physical labor yeah but all of a sudden now I, I get that idea you want more for your kids you want different but this whole notion that you have to go to college and university that's why we have this you know what a lot of people our parents generation can't understand is just the astronomical size of student debt mm-hmm. you know the the mountains the fact that most of us are working into our 30s just to pay off our student loans. And beyond. Yeah. So for some of us, yeah, beyond that. So 
we have an entire generation now because of this notion of you have to go to school. One, you have, you know, thousands upon thousands of kids out there with fucking general arts degrees that are useless. Mm. You have so many of these, you know, foolish degrees that people aren't using. And you have, instead of people that were getting out of high school, going into an apprenticeship or starting at a factory or whatever, that are by 25 have a mortgage and two cars by 27 have a few kids and are working towards you know being plugged into what our economy runs on Mm -hmm. you now have this whole generation of kids that aren't even getting ready to consider that until their late 30s oh yeah because there's too much fucking school debt oh yeah you know i'd like to know where patch got his fucking money you know? Well, then it was different, right? It was the 70s. Well, school was a hell of a lot cheaper back school then. School was a hell of a lot cheaper. It was the 1970s. He was a white man. There well, were a lot mean, of factors. Just, there wasn't a white man money office. You still had to go to work. No, you still had to go to work, but it means that admissions were infinitely simpler. Yeah, Getting yeah, in okay. was an easier we're, process. Fine. P- Patch Adams is a white guy. We're not We're not dealing with the, the racial inequalities of the time. Fine. We're dealing with where did he get his fucking money? Well, I... I think it's probably money that he had. I think there's even some allusion to the fact that he has some inheritance and some independent wealth. Yes. Um, but, and especially because of his connection to, I think it was Arthur was his name, the man, uh, the yeah. mathematician. Yeah, four-finger Joe. Yeah, and they, they definitely had a very good connection. He even gave him the land for the Gesundheit Institute, right? So I, I think there's the assumption there that he serves as a bit of a benefactor, um, which ultimately helped everybody Mm -hmm. but that's the real thing i think that's so fascinating or so engaging about the film is this kind of idea of well really it's it's not concern about how he got there it's not concern about the money it's not any of that bullshit it's all about this idea of kind of rediscovering of self this Mm -hmm. notion of second chances the idea that uh education opens doors for everyone um, and that it can open doors for you even later in life. Yeah. And that's a very liberating and empowering concept. Very much so, because it makes it okay. It To go it, back. Yeah, this film makes a lot of things okay. Um, because it's presented in... It's almost better that it was made then. Because mm-hmm. if you made it now, I think there would be this tendency to make it a much more harder-edged film. You know, they dwell like the her her the the trauma mm-hmm. in the film. You know, if this was like a Netflix miniseries, you know, it would start with that scene, and it yeah. would and they would fucking drag that you know dirty tea bag through the whole fucking series, and just make you feel like a piece of garbage by the time you're out the other side. Mm. But because we get to benefit from this beautiful, you know, soft lit ninety schmaltz. Yeah. You get these great lessons and you get, like you said, this idea that it's okay. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the biggest things that this film presents is that it's just okay. Yeah. You know, and how is it okay? If we help others, mm-hmm. we are helping ourselves. Exactly. And that's, I think, the simplest, because it's, it's basically his entire philosophy, mm-hmm. is that if I help someone else... I make myself better. Exactly. You know? Not only, you know, spiritually, but I feel better. You know, like when you do a good deed, when you're out menching for people. Menching for people. You know, you I, I got my, my old bench mensch. We're good. Your mensch on a bench? Yep. Yeah. Um, you feel better. And where else, 
butt medicine should that be more strongly presented you know then it, well of course it's little things mm-hmm. you know laughter is the best medicine other than medicine but if you can cheer it seems like as soon as you get out of pediatric medicine mm-hmm. the whole idea of making anyone feel better is kind of thrown out the window and it all depends on the doctor mm-hmm. like if you go and see a doctor and even if you're like sick sick and they're severe as fuck you don't feel any better no but if you meet a doctor they're like hey how are you how's it going you know, they don't have to come in here and, like, suck your dick or anything. But, like, they could be, if they're just that little bit of pleasantries mm-hmm. to help cut through your fear. Yeah. Makes everything way better. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and it's, that's what I love about this film. And that's why I still think it's it holds up, to, despite its high level of schmaltz and its rather simplistic worldview. Mm-hmm. Is that sometimes y- you need a bit of a simplistic worldview, especially today especially yeah, yeah definitely um it helps it makes everything easier ultimately and i think that's one of the beautiful things about this film and it just makes everything feel well easier <laughs> well yeah you you feel you feel better after the film is done and i guess that's a it's you can't speak much higher praise and even considering how intense some of this the the moments in the film are and considering you're watching you know, three great actors that we've now lost mm-hmm. in the film with Robin Williams, Philip Seymour Hoffman, and Michael Jeter. You oh, know. God, yeah, that's right. Fuck. And watching these guys just crush it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny listening to Philip Seymour Hoffman because you can tell that he spent so much time on his accent because it has that very, you know, end of the last century massachusetts kind of it's very uh, yeah u.s aristocracy voice exactly but it only but he drops it in in drips and drabs and when he gets angry or vulnerable it disappears mm-hmm. and that's what was you that to me i'm like he's he's doing so much work oh yeah in and, and very few scenes and it's fascinating because the dropping out when he gets angry isn't even it would be one thing to say, well, he just has a hard time keeping up with the accent, but that would be blatantly untrue. Not with someone like Philip Seymour. No, Hoffman. absolutely not. And it serves as this beautiful affectation that's so subtle and understated that so few people are going to think about because it it speaks to the character. Yep. A man who is so preoccupied with tradition and appearance and... Say it right. Hmm? Say tradition right. Tradition. Mm-hmm. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, with tradition and appearance, well, you know, uh, with tradition and appearance and um, everything to do with hierarchy and yeah. class. The and old way. Exactly. Yeah. And so much so that it suggests that the accent is, is being affected, that it's not entirely natural. Yeah. And then when he allows himself to be vul- vulnerable, when he loses his patience and he loses his temper, that completely goes away and he sounds like every other Joe Blow that's from the area that he grew up in. And it's so indicative of everything that Patch Adams as a character is trying to shed away, yeah. pretense and falsehood. And just allow the raw truth of human nature and human vulnerability to come forward. And, you know, he's got that from, this, from the moment he starts at this school. He, he's, that's just the way that he is. And in his engagement with everybody else, he almost in a way teaches them how to do that as well. Mm-hmm. And it's, 
and just pretty fantastic. No, it's a it's a movie riddled with lessons, but it's not a lessons movie. No. You know, it's very much it's 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 the sports underdog mm-hmm. story. That's exactly what it is, but set in the world of medicine in the sixties. Exactly. And I think it's a lot of people could benefit from rewatching a film like Patch Adams, especially when we are more divided than ever and the idea of even talking to somebody is so disgusting Mm -hmm. let alone devoting your life to you know be a servant of others Mm -hmm. you know when we see just the level of disgustingness that our all of our well a vast majority of our public servants are are exhibiting right now Mm -hmm. in this province and around the world so if there was ever a time for folks to revisit patch adams it would be now yeah and revisit your education yeah (laughs) You know, that whole idea that we never stop learning. We never stop being students. And you don't. You know, if you... It's never that that old chestnut, you know, that old stereotype. Well, it's never too late to try something new. And it's not. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know so many people, especially coming out of film, that do different jobs now. Um, I do different stuff now. I still write my scripts and everything, but a lot of my energy is focused to fiction writing now. You know, and short and long form. Yeah, short and long form. You know, um, hell, I'm doing copywriting, and that's something yeah. I never thought I was going to no. do. And enjoying the fuck out of it. Genuinely, yeah. yeah. It's it's amazing what can happen if you open yourself up to the po- to the possibility yeah. of growth and change yeah. and pr- and progress, and that goes in all aspects. And of life. not being afraid to do it. You know, mm-hmm. um, I don't talk about this publicly a lot, but I'll say quickly here: I'm in the middle of writing my second book. And that's something that I had made so many attempts at when I was younger. And I think I have four or five stalled novels Mm -hmm. kicking around uh, my various bins and boxes. But that's something that I I hugely enjoy. And doing the short story work that's on the Steal Steal My Name library, I Mm -hmm. get a huge joy out of that. But five years ago, if I had tried to convince myself that I could do anything except... What you went write to scripts for. and do this and I have to do these things but mm-hmm. well well no you you obviously the only thing you have to do is try your best mm-hmm. to the things you're passionate about yes and if you stop being passionate about something for the right reasons yeah then find something else that you're passionate about mm-hmm. it's it's really that simple it really is and yeah. I think patch uh, does that and shows us how to do that uh, Billy Madison exists Um <laughs> B- Billy Madison is the is the simplified version of of Patch Adams. I think that's really, really, really rude to Patch Adams. Well, no. <laughs> Sometimes I forget that you weren't a little boy. <laughs> or even when you were a little girl, you didn't have little boy-like tendencies. Hey, I totally did. Like I said, I watched the shit out of Billy Madison when I was a little girl. I used to want to have belching competitions with my brother, but he wouldn't let me play, and I couldn't belch. You know, I did all that shit because I grew up around boys. That was just the way it was. Okay. But alas, then remember here we that, are. Remember that gentle joy then. That you oh, I felt the from... joy then, but now I'm a grown woman with A, a conscience, B, an education... Okay, whoa, C. so you're implying that if you have a conscience, you can't enjoy Billy Madison? No, That's a slippery slope you're tripping I'm, down. Oh my God, there is so much allusion to improper behavior around both women and children in that film. That's totally. What I'm refer- so that's what I'm referring to. Um, but no, I my 
as happens when you grow up and when you change, so your tastes change. And there is nothing wrong with that. And changing perspectives definitely shift how you engage with material. Mm-hmm. And my, my engagement with the stuff that was cool with 11-year-old boys and cool with me when I was a little bit younger than that and a girl... Yeah, it's completely shifted. And frankly, thank God for that, because I would not want to have the same mindset as, as you know, an 11 year old boy in the mid 90s. I really wouldn't. We were cool. Super cute. Super cute. But thank you so much for joining us, guys. We wanted to try and keep this a bit of a shorter episode for you because yeah. we've got a lot of other really interesting content coming up this month. Um, speaking of Bob, what's up to next week? I was going to say tomorrow. Let's take a look, shall we? Because Bob's frantically shaking his head. Going, I don't remember. We're, uh, we're, we're busy, busy bees right now. And we 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 usually have like a, a bigger list just kind of hanging around as to what our content is coming up. Oh, no, up. we have a whole full list. And I've got it right here. Check this What's shit out. What's coming up next week, Ariel? Herp de derp de flirp de flirp. Uh, <laughs> so for episode 108, uh, we're actually doing an Eat Your Darts. We are. We are. Oh, that's exciting. It is. It is a single film, Eat Your Darts. It's Eat Your Darts, Coriata. Uh, so we're going to be looking at um, Coriata's film from a few years ago, Like Father, Like Son. Because Bob has never seen a single Coriata film. Does, I've seen a couple. Is, that, is, that, is his name a mononym? Or? No, I. that's his last name. Um, I am forgetting his first name, frankly. Uh but that film we will be discussing next week. I have seen it. Bob has not. Hirokazu Koreeda. That's his name. Japanese filmmaker. He's phenomenal. If you have never seen one of his films, I encourage you. Pick any. Throw a dart at a board and you'll be happy. Because everything he does is subtle and understated and beautiful and just nuanced to the nth degree. And he's fascinated by concepts of fatherhood. Uh, from various different vantage points, uh, from okay. the vantage point of the son, of the father, of the family as a unit, uh, different roles, different um, vices and how we interact with each other. And it's he's just a phenomenal filmmaker, so well worth checking out. So if you want to come along for the ride with us, watch the film ahead of time. Uh, if not, you can always start the episode, pause it, watch it, and then come right back. And then you're literally following with us. You're not even hopping in, in the DeLorean. You're coming along for the ride. But... In the meantime, if you haven't yet, head on over to iTunes where you absolutely can and should rate, review, and subscribe to the show. You can find us on all various other podcasting networks, but specifically iTunes is, you know, that does us a big favor. So head on over there and uh, write us a little review. You can also find us on social media where you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at A Frame Apart Cast. You can email us at aframeapartcast at gmail.com. And don't forget, we also have a new Facebook group, uh, a Frame Apart discussion group. So search that on Facebook. You can also find that through our page in the community tab. And it's just a fun place for everybody to kind of chill, share stuff, engage with different material, and uh, just, you know, hang out online, because what else is it for? (laughs) Not the pursuit of knowledge. So thanks again, guys, for joining us. No, we want to thank you very much for uh, for chilling with us for episode one hundred and seven. And like Ariel said, we'll be back next week with a uh, with another eat your darts. But until then, remember, no matter how weird, wacky, or nineties any of this may seem, every great film and every great idea is just a frame apart. Now here today, this room is full of medical students. Don't let them anesthetize you. Don't let them numb you out to the miracle of life. 
Always live in awe of the glorious mechanism of the human body. Let that be the focus of your studies and not a quest for grades, which will give you no idea what kind of doctor you will become. Mr. Adams, please turn and, and don't wait the till you're on the ward to get your humanity back. Start your interviewing skills now. Start talking to strangers. Talk to your friends. Talk to wrong numbers. Talk to everyone. Mr. Adams. And cultivate friendships with those amazing people standing in the back of the room. Nurses, they can teach you. They've been with people every day. They wade through blood and shit. They have a wealth of knowledge to share with you. And so do the professors you respect, the ones who are not dead from the heart up. Share their compassion. Let that be contagious. Mr. Adams, I demand that you turn and address the board. Sir, I, I want to be a doctor with all my heart. I wanted to become a doctor so I could serve others. And because of that, I've lost everything. But I've also gained everything. I've shared the lives of patients and staff members at the hospital. I've laughed with them. I've cried with them. This is what I want to do with my life. And as God is my witness, no matter what your decision today, sir, I will still become the best damn doctor the world has ever seen. Now, you have the ability to prevent me from graduating. You can keep me from getting the title and the white coat. But you can't control my spirit, gentlemen. You can't keep me from learning. You can't keep me from studying. So you have a choice. You could have me as a professional colleague, passionate, or you can have me as an outspoken outsider, still adamant. Either way, I'll probably still be viewed as a thorn. But I promise you one thing. I am a thorn that will not go away. <laughs>